I do appreciate the dedication of our people. We've got a good number of people. I counted at least without, and I'm sure I over, I missed some in my count. I know of at least 16 of our people who are out today, and I'm sure there's probably a whole lot more. But I'm glad you're dedicated and you're here today in the Lord's house. Speaking of dedication, reminds me of an old story about a fellow who was so dedicated to his game of golf. He went down playing golf one day, and, and about 8 o'clock that evening, his wife became so disturbed and upset, and she called down to the clubhouse and said, uh, Is my husband there? Oh, they said, Yes, he's here. Well, I need to speak to him. And she said to her husband, why? She said, John, where in the world are you? You told me you'd be home at least by 7 o'clock. And here it is, 8 o'clock already. What in the world's going, what's happening? Oh, he said, darling, this has been a terrible, terrible day of golf. It's just been one of my worst. Well, she said, how's that? Well, he said, you remember old Fred, don't you, my golfing buddy? Uh, he said, uh, she, he said, you know, uh, we got out on about the third hole, Fred dropped dead with a heart attack. Oh, she said, that's terrible. That's awful. And he said, that's not the worst part. He said, after that, it has just hit the ball and dragged Fred, hit the ball and dragged Fred. Now that's real dedication. Don't you think? Follow whatever you have to drag out, you'll drag it out tonight and be back here with us in the service. I want to thank you for praying for me. And by the way, uh, I'm so glad I could be your preacher this past week. And you preached over 500 people every night in the camp meeting. And God just blessed such a wonderful way. People came in from everywhere. There in Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware. We had folks uh, from uh, Wyoming. We had folks there from Indiana and some from Illinois. And uh, just many places all around. And Georgia, North Carolina. It was quite an unusual week. And uh, I tell you, they sung, they shouted, and I preached, and they shouted, and as they shouted me down. And anyway, uh, it was just a good time altogether. Real camp meeting. And I just, I told them this morning, I wish I could just put that in a box and bring it down here and just dump it out on everybody and let you get the full impact and blessing that was mine this week. But I do appreciate your prayers on my behalf. And also, last Lord's Day, I was away, of course, you know, and up at the homecoming at Eastside Baptist Church with Brother Steele, who had served uh, for a long while as my associate pastor when I passed into the city of Memphis. And it's good to see them and good to see the church grow. I'm telling you, they've just spread out and they've had to build new buildings and a new auditorium and uh, some running out five, four, five hundred in Sunday school and just doing a good work for the Lord. And uh, I'm so grateful that you remembered me in prayer and you were ministering through me while I was away and as you prayed and backed us up. I do thank you with all of my heart. And by the way, my voice just did all right last week. 
Uh, and uh, I was so happy about that. Uh, didn't squawk or squeak or wheeze or anything. And uh, uh, I thank you for remembering me uh, in prayer in that regard as well. From the book of Deuteronomy, where you, find, where you found our text this morning, or our scripture reading, there are a couple of verses that I want to read once more from this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and reading at verse 10 down through verse 11. And this will remind us of the gist of the whole passage that, uh, is, that uh, is before us today. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 10, the Lord's servant reminds, uh, the Lord reminds his servant and his people and says, when thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. It's an amazing thing to me as I read the scripture to find how very, very often the Lord calls to us the matter of not forgetting. How easily we forget the good things that God has done for us, the blessings that are ours, we so easily forget. Have you ever wondered why we forget so much? Well, I want to tell you, I think it goes all the way back to Adam myself. For when Adam sinned, he not only died spiritually, and the spiritual side of man was affected, but indeed the physical side of man was affected in that eventually physical death came. But I believe when man sinned, something happened to his brain as well. Psychiatrists tell us that perhaps by the time a man or woman dies, they have only used a very small percentage of the brain cells that God's given us. One fellow ventured to say that we do have in our little brains up here the capacity, if it were possible, we have the space for it for us to become a genius in every known field known to man. Can you imagine that? And yet how little of our brains we use for the glory of God. And yet the tragedy is that we so forget so easily the things that the Lord has blessed us with and given to us. Now, I believe the Lord knew that. Therefore, he would say to Israel and to you and me, don't forget. Oh, he said, don't forget that it is the Lord that gives you power to get wealth. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was the past and late pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, great servant of God, and Dr. Barnhouse said this, he said, when a man becomes prosperous through the efforts of another, Usually, his first reaction is to push his benefactor aside. Pride claims all credit and thinks it demeaning to give credit to another. 
The common effect of prosperity, he said, is to harden the heart against the needs and miseries of those who are less fortunate. This was the case of Israel, as you'll find reflected even in the Psalms. In Psalm 106 at verse 7 and verse 13 and also verse 23, the uh, the psalmist reflects on the matter of in spite of all of the good things God had given to Israel, yet they they forgot the Lord their God. Oh, how easily we forget those even among us who have blessed us who have cared for us, who have helped us. And tragedy of all tragedies is this, that when we get out of the jam and the problem and the trouble that we've been going through, we often forget those that have been used of God to help us get out of the mess and the jam and the problem that we may have found ourselves in. I like a statement that I pinned in the back of my Bible a long time ago, and it simply says this, Be grateful for your doors of opportunity and your friends who oil the hinges of the door. So often we think we are, are, you know, self-made people, and we are where we are, and we have what we are, all because of our proud little selves, and we often forget that God is behind it, and often God working through the lives of others around us that have helped us and encouraged us. I think one of the most terrible sins that any of us could ever be guilty of is the sin of ingratitude. And I believe nothing hurts and wounds the heart of our Lord any more than to see His children who have no sense of gratitude nor thankfulness in their own heart. Now, there are many who certainly we could look upon and who have been instrumental in helping us in our lives and helping us to become what we are. I like what one fellow said too many years ago. Those of us today, in all of the prosperity, all of the advancement of education, all of the advancement of material things, yet we must remember that we stand on the shoulders of the giants of the past. Now you let that soak in for a minute. You are where you are today because of someone who came along before you and even because of someone who is there with you that has been a tremendous help and blessing and encouragement in your life. I think first of all, certainly, and you are ahead of me in my thoughts, I'm persuaded, but oh, how often we forget the parents whom God has given to us And what they have contributed to our lives. And we just take for granted that we are what we are all because of ourselves. Well, I want to tell you, number one, you wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for your parents. I mean, you wouldn't even exist. 
And yet somehow people forget the fact that, that those parents have contributed so much to our lives, not only uh, physically, but as well spiritually. Paul wrote to young Timothy and said, as he wrote to him in that second book of Timothy, chapter 1 and verse number 5, and he said, I remember the faith of your grandmother, and I remember the faith of your mother, and that faith, I'm persuaded, is in you also. Do you see that progression? of that faith that Timothy had and was so mightily used of God, all listen, it came to him as a result of a grandmother, of a mother who had a tremendous faith in the Lord God and no doubt passed that faith on down to her children. How ungrateful we are then of the moms, the dads that God has given to us. And yet how we ought to open our eyes and realize what they have done. I go to visit my dad, as most of you know, who's 93 years of age. And often in my life, in the earlier days of my life, I seem to forget all of the sacrifice that he made in his life that I could be and have and experience what I am today and what I experience in my own life. I was so much unaware of the fact when I was in college that uh, Dad was out there laboring and toiling and those old rough hands that I used to feel when he placed his hand in mine and I'd see the weariness and tiredness, but yet he labored and willingly gave uh, that I could have some kind of progress and advancement in my life. And yet, oh, how we need to realize that if it weren't for those godly parents, a mother, and indeed a father, we wouldn't be where we are today. I think of my godly mother and sainted mother to me who prayed for me and prayed me out of many a jam in life and prayed me out of some of my girlfriends, just to tell you the truth. Mama knew they wasn't they wouldn't the kind I needed and she just prayed for me. I'm sure she felt like using a buggy whip on me every once in a while, but at least she got through. And I thank God for that mom and that dad who would open the page of this old book and they would read the Word of God. Dad was not a, a formally educated man. And I oftentimes when we'd have our family devotions and we'd sit down in that family circle and dad would begin to read the scripture at the pronunciation of many of the words from the Bible he had give, we'd all just bust out laughing and he would too. And we'll forget we just doubled over when he was talking about the sepulcher that they buried Jesus in, you know. But I guess that's all right. I understood and yet uh, I, I, those things impress me. I thank God for the parents the Lord has given me. And all oh, that you uh, who are parents today are future parents that you will realize what a great responsibility and influence that you have upon those, uh, upon those sons or daughters. I'm thinking right now, and I want to turn to it, of a passage in the book of Proverbs. If you'd look there in Proverbs chapter 1 and look at verse number 8 and 9. Proverbs 1 and verse 8 and 9, and it says this. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, 
For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. While you're in Proverbs, look over to chapter 6 and look at verse 20. In chapter 6 and verse 20, the wise men said, My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Look in chapter 30 while we're still there and observe verse number 11. Chapter 30 and verse 11 of the book of Proverbs. And it says, There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. You know, all of us have been teens and some of our teenagers and young people forget that mom and dad were one-time teenagers too. And yet, you know, I remember sometimes you, you begun to think as, you grew, as you're growing uh, in those teenage years that, boy, the dumbest people in the world must be mom and daddy. I mean, they just don't know what life's all about. Somehow they just missed it. I'll tell you something. Listen to me. Your mom and dad probably have more wisdom in the end of their little finger than you've got in your whole body. The truth is, people can't live as long as your mom and Paul did and not learn something about life. And you'd be a wise person if you'd stop and listen to them. I remember again in my early days of ministry, I used to go preach in the old folks' homes, what they called them in those days. Now, I'll never forget the first visit I made to that home. There were about 35 or 40 of the senior folks in the home. And I, after they had introduced me and I stood up before them, all of a sudden uh, the truth just dawned on me and hit me. And the truth was this, that I should have been sitting where those folks were sitting uh, and they should be standing up trying to tell me uh, some of the things about life. Hey, listen, that mom and dad's already gone around some curves that you hadn't even seen yet. They felt some bumps in the road and they have, they have had some experiences that you'll never go through again. Listen, a wise young man or woman, and I'm not just talking about kids. I'm talking about those of us who are the younger on oh, the older who are among us. You would be smart and wise to listen to them. They've gained some information that could help you and keep you from having scars and wounds and bleeding moments in your life if we would only listen. I'm glad I had a, I have children who have certainly honored me as their dad and honored their mother. And I, I, of all of the things that has blessed me, it indeed has been the sons and the daughter whom the Lord gave me this past July the 4th. As most of you remember, seven years ago, Melody went home to be the Lord. And this past week, I was looking through some of the things in my briefcase. And she often wrote me notes and letters. But I thought I'd just pass this along, and I hope you'll forgive me if it's too personal. But I'd like for you to hear the feeling, the thoughts of this daughter whom God blessed us with. She wrote to me on June the 16th, 1991, a Father's Day message. And she said, my precious daddy, you really are very precious to me. I love you, appreciate you, admire you, and respect you. 
You'll never know on this earth how much influence you have had on my life. I'm so grateful for the love you always show, for the concern and attention you give, for the wise counsel you offer, for your prayers on my behalf, for the example of your life before me, for your gentle strength and for all your encouragement. Thank you for teaching me about God and his love for me and about the values and morals that are important to uphold. I'm glad you love me enough to discipline and train me. Thank you for the special times you have spent with me through the years. Nothing meant more to me as a child than to know that I was important to you. Thank you for being a dad who lives life and enjoys life. Your joy is magnetic and I love you. I love to be near you. I'll always be your little girl. Your place in my heart is one that will never be replaced. Even if I could, I don't think of one thing about you that I would want to change. You're special and I love you just the way you are. And I wanted to read that to you to encourage you who are parents to realize that often the things, the little things you do, you think have no effect on the life of that son or daughter or your children, even when they're grown, but they do. And oh, to just receive a word of recognition, of, a, of thanks, of, of a gratitude of the heart of a son or daughter, that's all that a mom and dad ever wants. They don't want some, some great gift, but just the gratitude of the heart. And you know, I think it would do all of us good if your mom and dad still living. You ought to contact them today. And you ought to let them know how much, how grateful, how thankful you are. And maybe somebody's saying, hey, my mom and dad wasn't too good to me. And maybe my dad is an old drunk. Or my mama wasn't an upright and an upstanding woman. But they're your mom and dad. And if it hadn't been for them, you wouldn't even be here. Oh, how we need to recognize that we are what we are today because of what has been passed down to us through those who have come before. You know something? (laughs) Genetically, you've got the genes of your grandpa and grandma running in you. And you've got the genes of Ma and Pa and great-grandpa and great-grandma You know, I hear people saying, well, he's just a self-made man. There ain't, pardon my grammar, they ain't no such animal. Nobody is self-made. I mean, you, you indeed have had contribution from those who have been before. And then again, oftentimes, we just do not recognize how people around us that's that child of God, that friend in the Lord, and yet how much they contribute to your life. I'm persuaded that's one of the reasons the Bible said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the custom of some is. If it were not for people around you and me, you would be a miserable, miserable wretch. You know, 
if you don't think so, think of the person who is isolated all to themselves, away from everybody, no contact. And yet, you know, we can do that inwardly. We isolate ourselves, and when you do, you're the loser. You're the loser when you fail to reach out in fellowship and communion with those who are about you as people of God. I don't remember the name of the man who said it, but I agree wholeheartedly. And he simply said, I am a part of all that I have met. Indeed, we are. You may think that that person you knew over there or that acquaintance, and yet you're a part. A handshake, a smile, an encouraging word, a laugh, and yet you become a part of that. It's utterly impossible for you to be an island all to yourself and develop a well and become a well-rounded personality. It is utterly impossible. And so we often forget people. Sometimes as preachers we forget that it is because of the people who sat in our congregation, who listened to our preaching. It is the people who has made us what we are. And I'm aware of that so keenly that you are such a part of my life. I, I draw from you. I gain from you. And I pray that you'll not pull away from your preacher ever. For I need you. I need that input of your life. I need that encouragement of your life as I believe indeed you need mine. Sometimes as well in life after we have prospered perhaps in numerous ways, not just materially. We forget the preacher. And I mention that because the Bible reminds us in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. Would you like to look at this verse? And I'm not just talking, I don't, I'm not talking about necessarily any individual preacher. I don't care if his name Walter Burl or who'd have thought, who'd have thought it. But I want you to look at verse, chapter 13, Hebrews verse 7. And this is for our prophet. And he says, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation are the result of their manner of life. Some of you here today, some old servant of God was instrumental in bringing the gospel to you. Somebody went out of their way. Sometimes we forget that that servant of God may have spent many a night awake and on his face and shed bitter tears over your own lost condition. And yet thank God for that old saint and preacher who gave us the word of God. I remembered and still remember, though he is dead and in heaven now, the late Dr. Percy Ray from out of Mississippi. I have his picture in my study in the barn. Often I look at that strange and odd-looking individual. And he was a strange-looking fellow. But I look at him and I just say, as I look at his picture, Lord, thank you for Dr. Ray. Thank you that he is so faithful and true to you that he didn't hesitate to give me the gospel. And that he didn't hesitate to preach the word. 
Oh, listen, I've been spared in my life many a heartache and many a ruin because I had some preachers when I grew up as a boy that, I mean, shelled the corn on us. And as they sat in Tennessee, told us how the, cabbage, how the cow ate the cabbage. Boy, I mean, they'd preach against sin. They'd trim you up one side and down the other. And you didn't leave the house wondering what sin they was talking about either. I thank God for that. And yet how we often forget the, the, the man of God, whoever he may have been, that shared with us and gave to us the truth of the Word of God. Where would you be today? Where would I be today if it hadn't been for men who really believed the Bible and stood upon it with no question and no doubt as to the authority and the infallibility of this old book? How often we forget the servant of the Lord. And then we forget places. You know, really, <laughs> the thing, uh, one thing that really bothers me sometimes if I find this, this in a person, and that is they forget where they came from. You see, whether you want to admit it or not, a great deal of what you are and who you are has been contributed by the very place, the locale from whence you came. We don't need to forget that. And I've seen some people, they, you know, put on airs as if they had never, uh, never seen a corn stalk or uh, never waded in a dirty ditch or ever gotten dirt under their fingernails. Oh, don't forget where you came from. Jesus was known as Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth was a despised little town. Wasn't very, very, it was not very conspicuous, and yet he was known as that, Jesus of Nazareth. Don't forget where you came from. Not too many years ago in our home, we have uh, what's called a half bath along with the other main bath. And I turned to Pat and I said one day, I said, honey, do you mind if I do with my, that half bath back there what I want to? And oh, she said, I reckon not. And I'm sure if she had known what I was going to do to it, she may have given a different story. But I had some old lumber that is over 100 years old, just real thin stuff. And uh, I got that lumber and I lined that little half bath with all that old rugged, unpainted, displendery lumber. <laughs> and, and then I, I covered over the tank of the commode. Now stay with me. And then I, I covered over the stool with those old planks. And then I cut a hole out in there. And uh, I had an old copy of a Sears Roebuck catalog. And I laid that in there. And when she saw it, she said, what on earth did you do that for? I said, I didn't want either one of us to forget where we came from. <laughs> And it is a reminder, that's right. You know, I just had the one, some of you folk, uh, I mean, you've been way out there. Uh, one thing I never understood about an out, some outhouses. Some of them have two holes. You ever notice that? I have never, Brother Carl, known anybody I want to use the bathroom with. Have you? I've never. And yet, I mean, you got them two holes instead of one. But the whole story, what I'm trying to get you to remember is this. Let's not forget where we came from. 
Don't be ashamed of your heritage. Don't be ashamed of the fact that if you were born in the country or in the city or wherever, wherever you came from and wherever you grew up, that very atmosphere and surroundings became a part of your life. And the Lord, I believe, would say, fortunate enough to be trained formally and had an education formally. Don't don't uh, forget that only God gave you that opportunity. I've known some people, they go off to school and they gain a whole lot of book knowledge and first thing you know, they're looking down their nose at all the rest of us ignorant folks. That's a sad, sad state. Listen, only God gave you the ability to learn what you learned. Only God gave you that ability. And God has blessed us in this place. Most of you right here live in a fine home. And you have decent clothing to wear. And you ride in a nice automobile. And some may have a few dollars in the bank. Oh, listen. God said, don't forget that I'm the one who gave you power to gain wealth. And the same God who gave it to you, remember, can take it away from you. The whole story is, I'm talking about being grateful. And then, oh, how easily we forget our partner. How often a husband forgets his wife. A wife forgets her husband. Bible t- indeed teaches us that husbands will to love our wife. The wife indeed should be in loving submission to the role that God has ordained for a husband. And yet we forget that. I want to ask you something, sir. How long's it been since you told your wife verbally and vocally, honey, I love you? You know, I was talking about that one time. One fellow said, well, he said, I don't do that. He, I said, why is that? Well, he said, when we got married 20 years ago, I told her I loved her, and if I ever changed my mind, I'd let her know. <laughs> but oh, how we forget. People need to hear that. Your wife needs to hear it, sir. Your husband needs to hear that you love him, that you're proud of him, that you're proud of her. And to me, listen, and I'm sure every man here feels the same about his wife. If not, you ought to. I think my wife's the most beautiful woman in the world. Now, if you felt like that about her, we'd all have trouble. But the truth is, you ought to let them know. You ought to tell them. Tell them what a blessing they've been. And I, me and my preacher buddy is talking the other day and we both agreed and had to agree, agree honestly that we wouldn't be worth a plugged nickel if it wasn't for the wife God gave us. And I think all you boys here this morning probably have to say, you know, I'm afraid that's the truth. Just drifting around, doing nothing, no responsibility, no purpose in life. And yet God gave me a good husband, a good wife. Oh, you ought to be grateful for them and you ought to thank God for them. Talking about telling your wife you love reminds me of a story. I'm just rambling this morning, ain't I? And uh, I remember the story of a fellow who had gone to hear a preacher and a preacher talked about telling your wife you love her. And boy, he got under real conviction about it. So he decided when he got home that, 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 that evening, he'd tell his wife right straight out, I love you. 
When he walked in the door, his wife was over there, her hair was all matted and strung down from sweaty and work, and the kids had aggravated her half to death, and she had her hands in the dishwater, and he came in and ran over to her and just grabbed her up and planted a good one right on her and backed up and said, Honey, I want you to know I love you. And boy, she started squalling and crying. And he said, why? He said, what in the world? I, I didn't mean to cause you to cry. I just want you to know I love you. And she said, oh, this has been a horrible day. The chickens got out and ate the neighbor's garden up. And our dog got out and ran somebody's cat up the tree. And the kids have been on my case all day long. And now you come home dead drunk. Well... <laughs> It might shock them if you were to tell them, but you ought to. Man, listen, don't go through life just keeping them guessing. Ma'am, tell him you love him. Let him know. Don't be ashamed of the fact. And I think one of the greatest contributions you could ever give to your children is to see a mama and daddy who love each other and unashamedly express that love one to the other. If you want some real happiness, that's good way to get it started. Finally, I'll close with this. How often we forget God. That is, He is the provider. We forget His divine providence in our lives. And yet God is the provider. He was, folks, listen to me, God provided a sacrifice. God demanded a sacrifice and that's the reason Abel came in the garden and offered a sacrifice. Oh, God demanded a sacrifice and he provided a sacrifice that was pure and holy and without spot or without blemish. He himself became the sacrifice for our sins. You see, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And when Jesus became sin for me and sin for you, he went through the awful agony of death that you and I deserve. But as God said to Abraham up yonder when he went up the mount off his son Isaac, and Isaac said, where is the lamb? And, God, and Abraham responded by saying, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. In other words, as I've said before me, times. God is not only the provider of the sacrifice but he is also the provision. He himself is the sacrifice for our sins. Not only has he provided a sacrifice but he provided one who is our substitute. One who died in our place. The death we deserve. The death and the agony that we indeed ought to have. Yonder in old Jerusalem in a darkened cell sits a man from on the outside hears the blood-curdling screams and cries of a bloodthirsty mob who's crying away with him, crucify him, crucify him. And by, the, by hearing the words, he trembles the more, beads of perspiration pop out on his brow, for they know, he knows certainly, they must be crying for his death, for he deserves it. He is a murdering thief. He is a criminal, and he ought to die, and he knows he ought to die. He knows he's guilty, and now again the screams come, crucify him, crucify him. 
After a few moments of quietness, he hears the clicking of heels of a Roman jailer who's coming down the corridor, now stopping in front of his cell. He hears the jangling of keys and the insertion of the key in the lock and the door is flung open immediately. This prisoner has been in the dark. The bright light of the outside world almost blind him. And then he hears the rough voice of the jailer who says, Barabbas, Barabbas, you're free. Barabbas must have sprung to his feet and run to the jailer, groping to find him somehow. And then when he does, holding his arms, Barabbas must have said, you joke with me. Why do you make my punishment and make my, 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 in, my injury and pain anymore? Why joke with me? I heard him out there. I know I'm a criminal. I know I've been a murderer and a thief and I ought to die. And they cry for my death. But the jailer says in tones sober, sufficient to convince Barabbas that he's telling the truth. No, Barabbas, you are free. How is it, he must have said, how is it, how is it that I can go free, a man guilty as I am? And the jailer said, there's one who's going to die on the cross in your place. His name is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, Barabbas could have, must have replied, I have heard of him. I, in fact, have heard, I have seen him. I know the miracles he has performed. I've heard his sermons. Oh, surely not this one dying in my place. But yes, Barabbas, and yes, you, yes, me, he died in our place. The wages of sin is death and we are guilty of having broken the law of a holy God and we ought to die, but he died as our substitute. But he not only provided a sacrifice in himself and a substitute for us, but also a satisfaction. You see, I hear people every once in a while want to witness to them not just very long ago, right here in our area, a fellow said to me, Well, Walter, don't, don't be concerned about me. I, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. And then I said, Well, you may be, but is God? You see, the only thing that will satisfy God is that shed blood of the pure Son of God. The only way we can ever be justified or accepted and declared righteous in the eyes of a holy God is through our faith in Jesus Christ who is the righteous one. And yes, when you come to Christ and receive him as your Savior, and oh, I hope everybody here's done that. I hope there's been a moment in your life when you saw yourself lost, deserving God's judgment, deserving hell itself, and you cried out, Oh God, I'm guilty. Forgive me. Save me. I place my trust in you. I hope you've had that moment in your life. And if so, you've come to him. God looks upon you as he would look upon his son and says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God provided a, a Savior as well. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And through that sacrifice, through that substitution, through that satisfaction, through that Savior, ah, there comes our salvation. Salvation, Jonah said, is of the Lord. And that's the only place you can get it. You don't get it from any other source. Don't get it from the baptistry, nor from the elements, the bread, the wine of the Lord's Supper or the communion table. You don't get it through turning over a new leaf and deciding to be a little better, but only through this one who is the Savior of sinners. He has provided. Oh, again, let me close by saying when you've been increased and oh, how God has been so good to you. Some of you here today, if you're not saved and yet God's been good, you came that close to dying. Some of you came that close to being killed in an automobile accident and yet God has spared you and he's blessed you. You have clothes on your back, shoes on your feet, roof over your head, food on the table, and yet all this while you've rejected this Savior. You've said no to him. Oh, I pray you'll come to him. And if you're a child of God and you've grown a heart that's ungrateful and been a long time since you just got alone and said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for cleansing me and making me whole. How long's it been since you did that? Don't forget. God help us to remember. Let's pray, please.